This is How Shall They Hear, a production of New Testament Christian Church of Renton, Washington. We hold services every Sunday morning at 1030 at 13470 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, Renton, Washington, 98178. You can reach us by email at ntccrenton at gmail.com. Going to be reading from Mark chapter 14. We'll start in verse 53. Mark 14, starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the place of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. Could even agree on a lie. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it with these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, or Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witness? Ye have heard the blasphemy, what think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And I want to take just this quick portion from verse 62, where Jesus say, and Jesus said, I am. I am. And with the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I want to preach for a little while on the title, A Bold Declaration. A bold declaration. Mr. Larson, could you stand and pray for the messenger? We come to you now, God. You're the great I am. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you for this time to come together and to worship you and to praise you and to hear your word. God, you came and you made some bold claims and you did some bold things. Dying for our sins and rising from the dead. And we thank you for that, God. Give Pastor now an unction of the Holy Spirit as he preaches your word and open our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If there be any sin in us, convict us. If there be any goodness in us, bring it out and just teach us to be better, stronger Christians, men of God, and that we might follow you in all your ways. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray today. Amen. I just want to read this portion again real quick. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. 
Here we have this account of Jesus before the high priest and the court of the religious. And it was time that Jesus put away the parables and the metaphors. He was asked plainly by Caiaphas, the high priest, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the one that has been prophesied in our scriptures? A bold declaration is defined as a courageous, brave, and fearless statement without regard to risk or danger. Here, when asked plainly if he was the Christ, Jesus said, I am. And he followed it up with some, uh, some prophecy. See, this was a bold declaration. It was not a declaration of a prisoner of a, or of a fraud. This declaration was spoken in truth and in power. Amen. And just like Jesus declared the truth that night, we too must declare what is truth and do it boldly and without fear. The religious leaders hated Jesus, but why? What was their hang-up with him? Well, the root of it was envy. They hated Jesus because of envy. Mark 15 and 9 gives a little bit more about this. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Even Pilate saw it. They were envious of Jesus. See, the law of Moses, the old covenant, was in place for over, a little bit over 1,500 years. This Jewish religion, the law of Moses. Israel had a lot of ups and downs. They had a lot of trials and tribulations. A lot of wars, a lot of battles, exiles, returns. And now with the Pharisees and the chief elders and the scribes in place, they perhaps felt like they had finally had some order to their religion, to their faith. Finally, they had some peace. Now they could put this whole thing together. They had a rebuilt temple. They had order. They had everything they wanted. But with order comes pride sometimes. You know, we were talking about before service that when people get a little bit of power, they like to hold on to it. Keep that in your mind about holding on to power. The Pharisees and the religious elders felt threatened by Jesus because deep down inside, they knew he was the Messiah. They knew. Because even Nicodemus, a member who was a Pharisee, has said, we know thou art a teacher that come from God because you couldn't do these things, these miracles, unless God be with you. He didn't say, I know that thou art a teacher. He said, we know that thou art a teacher. He had gotten with the other Pharisees. They had talked this over. 
They knew deep down inside that Jesus just wasn't this normal man. There was something about him different. But they were not ready to give up their positions. The position that they finally achieved. Now this is what Jesus had said of the Pharisees. There in verse uh, chapter 23. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and said to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they're, they're in charge of this religion, of our faith, our Jewish uh, religion. Oh, therefore, whatsoever they bid you, you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. In other words, they tell you to do all these things. They tell you how to, what, what parts of the law to follow and how to follow the law, but they're not doing it themselves. For they bid heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them out on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they won't practice what they preach. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. That they make broad their phylacteries, which is kind of like a, a kind of like a thing they would wear over, like a, not a necklace, but kind of like a like a, a really decorative scarf. And they they make them broad, and I guess almost like a merit badge, like a, a Boy Scout sash, essentially. They make them broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. And then, then he says, and they love the upper rooms at feasts and. At, the chief seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. That's what the Pharisees loved. They loved the pop and circumstance. They loved the fanfare. They loved the treatment that they got, the best food, the best seats in the synagogues, the comfortable seats, the, uh, the recliners, I guess you can say, at the parties when they get invited over to people's houses. They were treated so well. They loved it. And the greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, here come the Pharisees. Here comes the chief priests. They love to be called rabbi, rabbi. They love the fanfare. And can we blame them? Have we ever felt threatened or cheated? Pharisees knew the law. They studied hard. They deserved a little bit of recognition. And it can be difficult putting up an act all the time. The Pharisees definitely worked hard at keeping up an act. For some of them, perhaps they looked forward as younger students of the law to the day when they could reach the level of the elders and be showered with praise and reap the benefits. Paul is a perfect example of this. He was a young, zealous Pharisee. Wanted to rise up the ranks to hopefully one day he could be one of the chief elders, one of the chief Pharisees. Some of these young college kids in the Pharisee school as they see the priests walking, man, I can't wait to be one of them one day. I'm going to be one day, and I'm going to walk into the market, and they're going to call me rabbi. I can't wait for that day. 
I remember when at my first duty station, when I got sent to Korea, the first thing we look forward to when we finally get to Korea we, and, and that tourism excitement wears off, the first thing we look for is the day that we leave. We start counting down the day. It was a one-year uh, tour, and we were, re we were ready to go after a couple weeks. Like, man, I can't wait to get home. And one thing that we really loved to see was some of these people who were finishing up their tour. They got special privileges that we didn't get, everybody else got, because uh, about six weeks prior to them shipping back to the States, the sergeants and stuff pretty much left them alone. They didn't have to do PT. They could just spend their day going to the medical appointments and clearing, turning in their gear, because you didn't want to stop the process. You didn't want to hiccup, because that would... Uh, the Army didn't even like that because then they would have to reassign you to a different duty station and everything works like a big old machine. And if there's one uh, spoke messed up in this big old machine, it would really uh, derail everything. The Army had a plan. They wanted you out at a certain time. They wanted you back in the States. They wanted you in your new duty station. Nothing should stop that. And the sergeants, they let the soldiers do that. You go ahead, you clear, you get out. Go back to the States. Because they would get in trouble too if you missed your flight. If you didn't make it to, uh, to your new duty station on time, they would get in trouble. So we looked forward to those six weeks before getting out. Or going back to the States. Like, man, they're going to leave us alone. We can just settle down and get our stuff moved out. They'll come pack our stuff and ship it out for us. We're excited. Until my group didn't get that privilege. <laughs> we didn't get that privilege. I think it was like two weeks before we were supposed to ship out. We were in the field. And we're like, how are we going to clean out? You were supposed to clean all of our gear. And you guys want us to get out, go out and make it all dirty again? And they, they got us all uh, before our platoon sergeant. He started yelling at us like, what is, your, what is wrong with you guys? What is wrong with your attitude? We told him, it was like, sergeant, we've waited all year for these last couple weeks. So that we can be like everybody else. And you're taking that away from us. That didn't go over very well. But we felt cheated. We felt robbed. We looked forward to something. And we weren't going to get it. And perhaps this is what the Pharisees were seeing. When Jesus decided to show up. This teacher. Everybody flocking to him. So he loved the uppermost rooms at the feasts. But now they were asking Jesus to come to the feasts. They were pouring ointment on his head. And washing his feet. And offering him everything. Laying down palm trees as he walked into the city. You ever felt like the promotion or raise or recognition you deserved went to someone else? Who wasn't deserving of it. You may have been in a company five years. And the person who's only been in a company for a year. Already outranks you. They got moved up. You get mad. You find out someone is making more money than you do. And they just started. You become mad. You become upset. So here are the Pharisees thinking that they are doing the will of God. 
And despite the Roman occupation, they had a good grip on the people and on the faith. They had peace. They could worship freely. And Jesus comes along and essentially saying, it's time to change things up. It's time to shake up our religion, our faith. And this wasn't the first time someone had appeared to challenge authority. And there in chapter in Acts chapter 5, verses 36 and 37, it speaks of two men who had rose up and gained followers. Theudas and Judas of Galilee. People started, were following them, and this, these are before Jesus. But they didn't fight against them as hard as they fought against Jesus. What I'm trying to do is show you the envy of the Pharisees, their anger, why they hated Jesus so much. Simply because he was going to take power away from them. Jesus had many bold declarations. Like seen in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto them, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a bold, bold statement. You're not going to go to heaven except by me. Not by uh, the observing of a Sabbath day. Not by cleaning the pots and pans as prescribed by the law. Not by uh, doing this and doing that. You're going to get to the Father through me. Very bold declaration. But in our text, Jesus gave the Pharisees and the religious leaders the confession that they had wanted. And prior, they had tried to trap Jesus using scriptures, like the woman caught in adultery. They wanted to test him. They wanted him to incriminate himself. And had Jesus told them that he was a son of God early on, or the first time they asked him, they would have had enough to take Jesus in right then and there for blasphemy. But at this moment, in Caiaphas' house, this is where this all took place. That night they took Jesus, they wrestled him, they brought him to Caiaphas' house. They didn't even wait until the morning business hour. They brought him right to the high priest's home. It was time for Jesus to speak up. Amen. It was time for Jesus. To put away the, the uh, metaphors. And the parables. It was time for him to declare who he was. Amen. To the religious. To the high priest. And even to Pilate. And you know what? It's not boasting if it's true. If you win a race. You are the fastest runner amongst that group. It's not boasting, it's truth, because you won the race. You may not be the fastest in the world. You gotta you gotta race everybody in the world to prove you are the fastest. You wanna be the best quarterback, you gotta face every quarterback in the world to be the best quarterback. But if it's true, it's true. And Jesus that night, he was speaking truth. He said that he was the Son of God because he is the Son of God. Amen. 
And believe it or not, we too, as, believe, as believers, have something to declare. These things are true no matter what the rest of the world may think. No matter what scientific discoveries or psychologists or any of that stuff say or, or politicians. We have a truth that we absolutely can declare because it is true. Those who have surrendered their life to Jesus and who have applied their, his blood to their hearts are saved. Period. People say, what do you think? You're better than me because you are a Christian? Yes, I do. Because it's true. In the eyes of God, we are better than those who do not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We are better. Psalm 15 and 12. For thou, for thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor will thou compass him as with a shield. And Psalm 7 and 11. God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. We are favored of God because we are in his Son. We have given our lives to Jesus. We've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So when it comes down to it, we are more favored than those without Jesus. That's Bible. That's truth. But the difference between us and religious of Jesus' day is that our faith is not supported with envy. We don't lift up our noses to the loss of the world. We don't walk around in, with our suits, and we wear suits to church because we like to look nice. Not for show. Not because we think we're anything better than anybody else. We just want to look presentable for God. Not for each other, but for God. And if you don't wear a suit, you wear something nice. You don't have to wear a suit to church. And there's nothing in the Bible that says that. We do it because we want to. Because we like to look nice for the Lord. Same reason why we, mom and dad made us look nice when we went over to grandma's house. The same reason why they made us get a haircut at the end of the summer. Or got us new school clothes. So we look nice. And for school pictures, you wear the nice shirt. You look good. And send it with the military. You get the class A's and whatnot for ceremony because they want us to look good. But we don't thumb our noses up at the unbelievers. Say, we're better than them. Ha ha ha. Take that. Walk all over them. Treat them like uh, low class citizens. We are better. And we want them to be better also. That's the difference. We want them to be better also. The Pharisees didn't want the people to be better than them. They didn't want anybody just to join in with them. They didn't want to share their glory with anybody else. They wanted to share the pomp and circumstance. They had that tight hold on their power. And they would not let it go. And they felt threatened by Jesus. But with us as Christians, we want people to come and get what we got. We want people to sit in our fellowship and amongst the congregation. And yes, we all have a different part in the body of Christ. But at the end of the day, we're all 
equal. We all come to the cross in the same way. We all kneel before Jesus in the same way. No one is lifted up more higher. Jesus is as high as it goes and we're not going to surpass that. We come here because we're brother and sister and we want to worship God equally. Our faith is about sharing the good news. It's about letting everyone come to be better with us. And to be better also. To come and get saved. Come and get some of that living water. It's not about getting the chief seats. It's about getting to sit at the same table as Jesus. All of us to sit at the same table with Jesus. Our faith does not have an occupancy limit like the Jehovah Witnesses do. Only 144,000 get to go to heaven according to their faith. I don't want to be part of a, a, a belief that limits how many people get to go to heaven. I don't want that. I want to go with just everybody. I want to go with everybody else. And you know what? Heaven is, has plenty of room. Right. And there is no occupancy limit in heaven according to the true scriptures. The ones that God wrote. Right. The ones that the Holy Ghost moved upon holy men to pen. There's plenty of room in heaven. And everybody can come. Everybody can come if they give their life to Jesus. We can proudly stand up and say, I am a Christian. I am born again. I am saved. I am filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's true. It's true. If your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, the only one who can erase it is you. And if it's not true, if you are not saved, if you're not born again, if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, today we have an opportunity to make it true. Amen? Amen. That's the difference. We will have an opportunity to make it true. You don't even have to wait for the next service. You can make it happen right here, right now. By letting people know you are a Christian. You are testifying of Jesus. You're not doing it to be proud or boast yourself. I am a Christian. Watch out everybody. I am a Christian. You do it. You tell people you're a Christian because you testify of Jesus. Matthew 10 and 32 says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. See, when you know you are a believer, some will come to you to shine some light into their darkness. Talking about lighthouses earlier. So many occasions where people have come up and say, hey, can you pray for me? You're a Christian, you're a preacher or whatever it is. You go to church, can you pray for me? I need to go to a church. I've gotten people to come to church. I remember one time just in the military. I just remember where I had to say something. I had to allude that I was a Christian to somebody. And I did. And his response is like, oh, wow. 
Really? You go to church? Yeah, I need to go to church too. And I, I brought him out to church. It's almost like God put it on my heart to say something. But we got to let our co-workers know that we're Christians. We got to let our families know what change has gone in our life. We got to let everybody, our neighbors and stuff, know that we're Christians. Because that is how they're going to come to the light. They know that they have a need in their life. Right. They know that they're lost in darkness. But they don't know where to go. We are the lighthouse. Jesus is the light that shines from our lighthouse. Yes. And they will come. But we must also walk the walk. We can say we're Christians, but are we walking as Christians? We act like it at least. Here Jesus was saying, talk about the Pharisees, how they put all these burdens on people. You need to wash your hands before you eat. You got to observe the Sabbath here, and you got to do it like this, and you got to do it like that. But they themselves were not observing all the law. And they were just saying, well, I'm the, I'm the chief priest, I don't have to. I don't have to do this, I don't have to follow the rules. A CEO of a company has to follow the same sexual harassment policy as everybody else. He can't go around slapping everybody on the behind, but then go ahead and fire somebody else for doing it. And that's what's happening with the law. The Pharisees were not following the law like they should, especially uh, the parts of the law about love and kindness and treating your neighbor right, which is in the law. So they desired the, the chief seats in the synagogues. They coveted it. What's one of the things in the law? Thou shalt not covet. They wanted it. And they would get mad if they saw somebody else sitting in their seat. Like some sort of mafia movie. You walk into the mafia, the boss, mafia boss walks into the restaurant, sees some of the family sitting at the table. Hey, Gino, get that family to move. That's our table. That's kind of what it was. They were a mafia. See, the single cause of atheism are Christians who do not practice what they preach. You hear it all the time. <clears throat> That's why atheists actually attack Christians more than they actually attack God. I don't really hear saying, God did this and God's wrong for doing that. It's Christians, Christians, Christians. You Christians don't do this. Christians don't... A lot of times they're right. Because there are Christians who do not practice what they preach. Being a believer isn't something you throw on on a Sunday morning and take off when you get home. Everybody is watching. Your co-workers, your neighbors, the cashiers, the waitresses. They're all watching. And I've stopped going to restaurants with some believers. Not you gentlemen. Other believers. I've stopped going to restaurants with them. Because of how they treat the waitresses and the waiters. Because all they do is complain about the silverware. And the menu prices. And all these things. And they, and they take that, that frustration. And they put it on the waitstaff. Like it's their fault that the prices got raised. It's their fault that their silverware has some spots on it. It's not their fault. It's the dishwasher. If that's the policy they have where they're supposed to polish it and they don't polish the silverware, that's not the waitstaff's fault. 
That's not the, it's the dish machine's fault. If they have a dish machine. It's not, and the waitresses and stuff, they already have so many uh, uh, complaints and stuff throughout the night from sinners. They don't need it from a Christian. Amen. How are you going to give a waitress a hard time and give them very little tip, but then expect them to come out to church? Because hmm. even just the littlest comments... And I've worked in food service. I know what it's like. And if you ever worked in any customer service, even in a retail uh, environment, any little comment you take personally, for some reason, you could say, you know what? No, I'm not going to take that personally. I'm just an employee. You got a problem? It's, it's my boss's policies that you don't like. But no, you take it personally because you're the one getting yelled at. And when Christians do this in public, really sets a bad testimony. They gave me a $1 tip, but then you left me a church card? <laughs> Please. So I stopped going out with church people. Certain church people. Very rare. Are you a believer who is more focused on politics than the gospel? All you got to cause a scene. Thinking of that one lady. Her name, Kim Davis, I think her name was, down in Kentucky. It's right when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of uh, gay marriage. She was uh, the county clerk, so she'd be the one who's issuing the uh, wedding certificates. And she's, uh, I don't know, maybe she's Baptist or Pentecostal or something, you know, but she, she's there, she's the county clerk, and she wouldn't issue the licenses. And she was uh, doing this big old fuss about it, and she was yelling at people behind the, the counter, telling all, the, all the, the gay couples that came, get out, you're going to hell, blah, 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 I'm going to stand my ground. But she became a public spectacle. And yes, she's right for saying, no, I'm going to stand up. And, you know, I'm going to stand behind my faith. I know what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. But she brought shame to the name of Christ because she, well, she, she got hysterical about it on camera. Yelling at people. What she should have done is resigned. And let God lead her to what he would have her do next. And she wasn't even following the scripture anyway. She shouldn't have been working. But that's a totally different subject. <laughs> right? Amen? God has a reason why he puts things in the word of God. Okay? In his word. But she made a public spectacle out of things. She really brought shame upon the name of the gospel. See, the Marines have a concept that no matter what your job is, you are a rifleman first. Am I right? Yes, sir. That is your first primary. So it doesn't matter if you're a cook or a truck driver or a, a, a marine doctor or a nurse or a generator mechanic, whatever it is. I don't know what your <laughs> MOSs are. Or a generator mechanic. When it's time, you pick up that rifle and you fight. You're an infantryman first is what they're pretty much saying. Yes, As a Christian... No matter where our place is in the body of Christ, we are soul winners first. Kim Davis was not a soul winner. 
She pushed more people away, if anything. And other Christians, they push more people away when they align themselves with politicians. Yes, sir. Amen. We're not trying to... Jesus said, you know, the physician, the, the sick, or the physician does not go to heal the well. He goes to heal the sick. And we were talking right before service. He said, you know, it's very hard having a church here in Washington State because it's not in their culture. It's not a Christian area. But you know what? I think this is the best place to have a church right. because this is not a, a Christian state. Amen. This is not a Christian culture. But that's why we need to be here. That's why we need to stay here. That's why we need to keep preaching because Jesus does not have a foothold here in the state yet. But we need to declare the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord is true whether it's in Washington or New York or Texas, or Florida, or Spain, or China. The word of God is the word of God. It is truth. Whether it's years ago or in the future, the word of God is truth. It does not change with the culture. It does not change with the politics. It is true. That's why we're staying here. And soul winning has two parts. Telling people about Jesus and showing people Jesus in your life. Can't mistreat store clerks. I understand this time you might have to get loud over the phone with somebody who's, uh, when you've been, got money missing from your checking account and they say, well, I can't really do anything for you now, blah, blah. Say, I want to talk to your manager. There is a time for that. But you still got to be meek and lowly about it. And you've got to present it in a, the best way possible because people are watching. You're on your phone yelling at somebody during your lunch break. Your co-worker's watching. I thought he was a Christian. Look how he's talking to that person. But there's, there is a time to speak up. So when Satan comes in and starts asking, are you really a Christian? It's time to speak up and say, yes, I am. Yes, Satan, I am a Christian. What if I make a mistake or give it to sin? You know what? Only a Christian will go to the Lord with a heart full of holy conviction and ask for repentance. That's one thing that you can be assured of. If you are a Christian and you mess up, God's going to let you know. But that's a good thing. That means you are a Christian. That means there's something in you. That means that God is going to work in your life. See, a sinner won't come to God because of conviction because they see nothing wrong in their actions. If you feel convicted, praise God because that means he is working in you. Amen. That means you are a Christian because you've stepped out of line. You can only step out of line if you've been in line. Amen. Not saying go ahead and commit a sin and make sure you're still a Christian. <laughs> but don't beat yourself up over it so much. When the pressures of this life and the cares of this world are weighing you down, stand up and say, I belong to God. Get that in your mind. I belong to God. Amen. Yeah, I'm in a bad mood today. Yes, this and this happened. But you know what? I am a child of the King. Amen. Like we were preaching last week. 
He is my strong tower. That's truth. And I will not be moved. I may be bothered. I may get irritated. I may be shaken. But I will not be moved. And I remember Jack Hiles preaching a message saying, Unshakable faith must first be shaken. You got to shake it first before it becomes unshaken. You got to let it settle. When those voices in your head start saying things like, you're never going to make it. No one cares for you. Just go back to the old life. That's when you stand up and say, shut up in Jesus' name. When, and I want you to start doing that. Because I'm going to start doing that. When you get those thoughts in your head, those thoughts that are going to weigh you down, that make you think that you're not a Christian, that make you want to commit some harm in your life, or go back to sin, say to yourself out loud, shut up in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you do have a, a, a psychiatric issue, you know, and you do hear voices in your head because of a, of a misbalance or a traumatic brain injury or something, and those things do happen, and you hear these voices and they're telling you to do things and hurt yourself, same thing. Say, shut up in Jesus' name. And those voices are going to stop. Amen? Amen? We cannot be weak, lowly, passive believers. We have been given power from on high. We have authority. We have strength. And we can overcome any obstacle that Satan in the world throws at us. We can overcome it all. And those are bold declarations. Jesus made that bold declaration. He said, I am. You want to know if I am the Son of God? I am. You want to know if I am the Christ? I am. You want to know if, I've, if I'm the long-awaited Messiah prophesied in your scriptures? I am. Same I am that he gave to Moses when he said, Who shall I tell Israel who sent me? He said, I am sent you. Jesus is the great I am. Amen. And it was enough for them to crucify him. But it was truth. We cannot hide from the truth. He said, I am, and you will see me sitting at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? We will be right there next to them. That's the truth. We are going to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is a bold declaration because it's true. We will be taken up to meet him in the clouds and we will return with him. Amen. That is truth. Hallelujah. These are bold declarations, but they are true. But what bold declaration are you going to make this morning? What bold declaration are you going to make this morning? I'm done with this sin. I'm done being uh, weak. I'm done not doing what God wants me to do. I'm done. I'm making a bold declaration. I am a Christian. I am saved. I am on my way to heaven. I'm done with sin. What bold declaration will you make this morning? Do we truly believe what we declare? 
like the old Western uh, mo movies and shows. I do declare, or the Southern uh, plantation owners or something, those Southern bells. I do declare. What do you declare today? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? When was the last time you prayed in the Holy Spirit? Building up your most holy faith. What do you declare? As we bow our heads and close our eyes in reverence to him. Only you know what to say to Jesus. Only you know where you stand with him. Will you be honest with yourself though? That's the one thing about being to declare something boldly. Is you have to be honest with yourself. I can't declare to be the healthiest person on the planet. Because I know I'm not. But somebody like Mr. Universe can. Old Jack L Lorraine or whatever his name was. Lorraine. The fitness guy. He could declare to be one of the healthiest people. Because it was true. And he had it, the body to back it up. Tom Brady could say he's one of the greatest quarterbacks. Because he has the stats to prove it. You could declare to be one of the best NASCAR drivers. Because you have the trophies to prove it. Do you have something to prove what you declare? Are you a Christian? How can you prove it to others? How can you prove it to Jesus? Do you have the faith to shake mountains? Only you can answer that this morning. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, if you want to be better, if you want to make it to heaven, you're only going to do it through him. Because what he declared on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Let us find a place to pray this morning. God bless you.